Good morning and welcome to this week's Highway Podcast. My name is Julie Peterson and I'm one of the pastors at our Mountain View campus. It's so great to be with you whether you're joining us live or after the fact. Thanks so much for tuning in from wherever it is that you are. Well, this week we're continuing in our teaching series entitled Rooted an exploration of the foundational and eternal truths in Jesus, which emerge from the Apostle Paul's prayer, found in the center of his letter to Christ followers in and around Ephesus. Paul prays that God's love would dwell in their hearts, and that they'd be rooted and established in that love in a way that enables them to deepen their understanding of his love and be filled in ways that shape their own hearts and the experience of their day-to-day lives. It's a prayer not just for head knowledge, but also for inner transformation and lives that are changed in practical and concrete ways in the outer working of this transformation. We began our teaching series by looking at the nature of God's love, which, as is seen in the life of Christ and the sending of Christ, is rooted in action. God's love is active. And last week, David shared with us that when we're rooted and established in God's love, we can find rest and wholeness in our identity in Him. And today, we'll explore the hope we have in Christ, rooted in God's love, made manifest in the cross. To do so, let's continue in our exploration of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians and pick up where we left off last week. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, let's dig into this powerful prayer, shall we? It's broken into two parts. The first part is a prayer of thanksgiving. Paul thanks God and commends his audience for a faith that is lived out. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, we read, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul's writing this letter while imprisoned in Rome. And so, when he refers to hearing about their faith, it's because their reputation precedes them. He's heard about the genuine faith of this community, 
and that they embody this faith through acts of love. And Paul's deeply thankful for both of these things. Now, in addition to lifting up a prayer of thanksgiving, Paul also prays a prayer for growth. He recognizes that the spiritual life of a follower of Christ is not a one-and-done thing. It's an ongoing journey of discovery, and so he prays for this discovery and growth in Christ in their lives. Starting in verse 17, Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now let's take a brief pause here in the middle of verse 18. As is the case for the vast majority of the uses of the word you in the New Testament, the word you here is in plural form. So it can be understood that Paul's praying for growth for all of his readers collectively. So you here can also be read as y'all. This is a message for the community of believers as a whole. So what's Paul praying that the eyes of the church with a capital C would be enlightened to see? Let's read on in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prays that the community of believers would know the hope to which they've been called. Paul's prayer for growth is a prayer for hope, and it's a reminder that God's people are called to hope. So let's take a closer look at this hope to which we God's people have been called. This hope has roots in the pots, if you will, of our past and our future and our present in Christ. As we reflected on last week, before we were born, and in fact, before time began, we were chosen and redeemed by God in Christ, who loved us so much that he gave up his life for our sake. As we see in Ephesians 1, 4, God's people were chosen in Christ. This means we were chosen outside of ourselves. We are his beloved, and we were his beloved before we took our first breath. And there's nothing we can do or say to change that. And so we find hope in our identity as unconditionally loved and unconditionally chosen and unconditionally redeemed in our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so the hope to which we've been called has rooting in our past. Now, this hope also has roots in our future. Since humanity made the choice to defy and separate themselves from God, as recorded in Genesis, Out of his great love, God has been moving to restore that relationship with him. And indeed, he's been moving to restore all that is broken. Not just the relationship between himself and humankind, but our relationships with one another and the world in which we live. 
while the realities of God's perfected kingdom are unfolding and partially present now, the fully realized manifestation of his kingdom sits in the future, in a time marked by peace, when the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and a time when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And the time in which at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. This future is so bright in and through the eternal love of Christ that it illuminates and penetrates our present As his children, this future is our inheritance. And as his representatives, this future is ours to work towards, as we are called to come under what God's doing to bring that future to life now. This, my friends, is the gospel. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate. And so... The hope to which we have been called has roots in our present. We are called to orient our day-to-day lives around hope, a hope that is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. When we are rooted in this love, hope springs, and through the Spirit, our eyes are open to see God's redeeming work in the world. It gives us hope in times that the world is without hope in. And we are filled with a hope that overcomes us and compels us to step out into this redeeming work because God in his love and mercy stepped out and redeemed us. It moves us to live, as Paul writes, to the praise of his glory. For the praise and purpose of his glory, we press into hope. This isn't a wishful thinking passive hope. It's not a, I hope I'll lose a few pounds, make that a double scoop type of hope. It's an active hope that propels us to not just envision newness, but to take part in that newness. It's a hope that enlightens us to see how the choices we make can be and are the realization of the what we hope for now. This hope animates how we live. The Greek term for hope in this passage, elpis, means an eager, confident expectation. Followers of Jesus are eager and confident and expect that God is making all things new. And this is because this act of hope claims and draws upon the incomparable power of God, which is so eloquently described by Paul as we read, starting in verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The power that resurrected the crucified Lord Jesus Christ, whom God loved and sent because he loved us, is available to us. 
the power that set Jesus on the throne to rule over all of creation is the self-same power that is available to us as followers of Christ, as God's chosen and sent and beloved. Isn't that so amazing? The hope that we have found in the past, future, and present is rooted in the power of the cross and God's love. My goodness, since we as Christ followers have access to this power, why don't we tap into it all the time? Well, as I think about it, I think we have what's been referred to as trust issues. Trusting God and his sovereignty and plan and his definition of good and evil. This is the stuff that humankind has wrestled with since defying him in the Garden of Eden. And that's because we like to be in control. We like to be in charge. I know this is true of myself. We'd rather define good and evil for ourselves. And so, like Adam and Eve, we consume the forbidden fruit because we've decided that it's good in the moment. We'd rather control our plans. And so, like Jonah, we hop in a boat and head in the opposite direction of where God calls us to go. We'd rather guard our hearts by controlling the extent to which we can become hurt or disappointed. And so, like the father of a boy riddled with seizures, we ask Jesus if he can help. The list goes on and on. We trade the reality of God's power for the illusion of our own. This is why it's so important to draw near to God and to his people and to his word and press into those places where truth in Christ can not only be known, but also encountered in order to experience the growth and inner transformation that Paul prays of the Ephesians as we seek to be rooted and established in God's love. It's for this purpose that Highway offers small groups, Sunday school, youth group, and spaces to pray and worship throughout the week, and so much more. You can get details for each of these things on our website, www.highway.org. Drawing near to God and His people and His Word is the antidote to trust issues. Here, the Spirit works in unique ways to bring growth and transformation. And in and through that growth and transformation, we can find the courage to trust. I've asked Stephanie Trigg from our Highway community to share a bit with us about her own experience of trusting God. And so with that, Stephanie, please take it away. Hi, my name is Stephanie, and my family and I have attended Highway for more than 10 years. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I have had the desire to grow my family through adoption. Um, my earliest notions of what that would look like were pretty blurry and romanticized, but as I matured and really leaned into my identity as a follower of Christ, God took that desire and refined it into a specific calling on my life 
that would teach me dependence and uh, how to trust him in all things. Back in 2012, my husband and I took steps to become foster parents. Uh, many of you came alongside us in that journey and uh, have provided meals and childcare and uh, warmth on Sunday mornings and friendship. Um, but uh, these eight years have been an exercise in trust because the world of foster care uh, bears no resemblance to uh, those notions I had when I was young. It is, um, it is a world of unknowns and uncertainties um, and saying yes in the midst of those things. Uh, for us, it's been um, saying yes to uh, babies whose names and, and birthdays we don't know and don't think to ask until we're taking them in our arms for the first time to bring them home or uh, saying yes to a kiddo who's uh, maybe older than our typical age range, um, maybe has some baggage that makes us nervous, but his school's down the street and um, every other foster home has passed that day and um, it's almost bedtime and we have a bed. Um, or saying yes to one more when our family cars fall. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to take two cars everywhere. Um, but we're still saying yes. Uh, it has been saying yes to, uh, to loving kids, knowing that uh, they're almost certainly going to be leaving at some point and that those goodbyes are going to be um, really painful. Or, um, or saying uh, a joyful yes. I yes, stay forever. <laughs> we'll get a bigger van. <laughs> um, we have been able to give all of these yeses with confidence because um, we are living in the midst of that calling God uh, put on our lives. And um, in that obedience, these yeses are then yeses to God. We have such uh, long memories for uh, the many times that uh, God has just carried us in this process. The times that we have felt um, completely depleted or out of our depth, um, frustrated, exhausted, and um, and uh, confused or just bewildered. Um, in those times, the times that God has uh, has carried us and we have just let him, um, those moments have become uh, the foundation in which our trust in God has been rooted. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Stephanie. So many things stand out to me in Steph's story. I'm struck by the way she said yes to God in the midst of uncertainty. Even if it leads to discomfort or disruption, what a great picture of trust. Saying yes when you don't know what's on the other side but depend on God. Now that's trust. And strings of yeses along the way. Well, that's at the center of living a life of trust. 
This entails making choices that seem illogical to the world. I mean, who doesn't want good sleep and predictability and stability? Giving up what's comfortable and known for what's uncomfortable and unknown to come under what God's doing isn't easy. But that's what we've been called to do and to be, to show those around us another way to live, another way to be human and to reflect his love in the world. Something else that stands out to me in Steph's sharing is the picture of the church with a capital C, God's people, being a tangible expression of his love and pressing into an active hope by supporting the work he's doing. Each person who provided practical and emotional forms of support, each of those people said yes as well. And not only were they blessed in the process, God will be faithful to provide for each of their needs as well. Isn't it beautiful how God works? Well, as we close out our time together, let's look at the last two verses in chapter 1, the conclusion of this prayer. Ephesians 1, 22-23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Highway community, we, his body, are to be the fullness of the risen Jesus Christ who fills everything in every way. We are commissioned and called to live lives of trust marked by strings of yeses along the way. What does God's invitation to trust him look like for you? To whom or to what might you say yes in order to live out in active hope? To live out an eager, confident expectation that God who resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ and set him on the throne is renewing this world. How might you say yes today? Let's pray. Dear glorious and heavenly Father, we thank you that we are known and loved and chosen in you. And Father, we praise you that you are a God who is worthy of trust and worthy, Father, of directing our entire lives towards and orienting our lives around. I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of your people, that you would open our hearts so that we can see your work in our midst. And God, that we would say yes to the invitations to be a part of that. Father, that our lives would be marked by strings of yeses to all that you call us towards. Father, may we trust you. May we look to you. May we live lives that are marked by active hope. And Father, in that, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Amen. <laughs>